Hey, welcome back. It's that time again. It's time for yet another Range Anxiety. I'm your host, Martin Donnan, bringing you 30 years of automotive tuning experience in 30 minutes. And today I've got a bit of a sore throat, so my voice is going to be gravelier and grumblier than ever. So yeah, it's going to be a bit of fun today. Um, talking about a subject close to my heart, I'm getting quite a few people sending me messages saying, Martin, we love the banter, we love the comedic approach you take with everything, but we would like to hear some actually serious and technical stuff as well. So I've taken that on board. I've had a good think about it. And today we're going to have a good show, a, a show and the, the lead-in song, as per usual, covers it. Uh, burn, baby, burn, Disco Inferno by the Tramps. It's about people putting turbochargers on a normally aspirated engines. It's something we do see a lot of these days, and quite frankly, most of what I see is absolute shit that should never be in an engine bay. I know that's rough, I know that's tough, and I'm probably being a little bit hard on, on the people that do it, but you know what, I've, I've been looking at this for a lot of years, and I've done it myself a few times, and there are some things you can avoid getting wrong, and there are some ways you can avoid burning your car to the ground. Because, trust me, when it happens, it's not fun. I haven't been unfortunate enough to uh, have that happen to me, but I have seen it happen. And it frustrates me. There's that many good uh, research sites, materials, and general knowledge out there now. It's only laziness and stupidity that causes people to build heaps of shit that don't work when adding a turbo to a normally aspirated engine. I mean, once upon a time, it was really difficult to do and you had to be half smart to do it and, you know, be good with making things and be good with cars and have a good understanding. Now, all you've got to be able to do is research and you can get yourself a pretty darn decent result. Like, for example, I saw a Turbo LS come in the other day. The guy assured me, assured me over many phone calls that... He had put this kit on himself, but he knew what he was doing, and it was ready to tune. It just needed me to put a bass tune in it, and then maybe put it on the dyno. And yep, okay, I, I tried to talk my way out of doing the job, but no, he wanted it. So in it comes, on a trailer, of course. It had the right size fuel injectors in it. It had 60 pound per hour injectors. It didn't have an air temperature sensor plugged in, which is just daft. It didn't have a two bar map sensor which is just daft. It had wiring resting on the exhaust manifold. It had the breather system blowing boost straight into the engine. Basically, I was able to get it at the point where it started for him and told him to take it away. Do not drive this thing until you fix the list of problems that I've written down on a sheet of paper for you, which is, happens to be about a mile long. So other than frustration, what's got me thinking about this subject? Well, I'm considering adding a turbocharger because A, I'm obviously fairly partial to doing stupid things from time to time, and B, I think it'd be quite cool. I mean, everyone turbos, LSs, everyone turbos, this, that, the other, you know, common stuff. I'm actually going to put a turbo on uh, my TJ Wrangler. Not only is it one of the world's most gutless heaps of shit with the 4-litre AMC inline 6 making about 110 kilowatts at the back wheels, I reckon that's what it makes, but it does it very lazily. It's geared way too tall. It's just a nasty, lazy engine that doesn't rev. 
which means it's perfect for a turbo conversion. So all of these thoughts regarding turbos and applications to engines are coming to the front of my mind again. So how do you plan a turbo installation to your car? Where do you start? Well, the very, very first place I always tend to start, and again, I'm not saying this is gospel, but I've done this a few times, right? So I do know what I'm talking about. First thing you start with is the exhaust manifold. Yes, that's right. Where are we going to hang this thing? High, low, side, up, down, outside, wherever. This is going to be a street installation. So, And the Wrangler does have a terribly shitty exhaust manifold setup. The last thing you want to do ever is have a thin wall tubular manifold, like a conventional, normally aspirated header, and hang a turbo off that. That is junk. It will crack. The very best type of manifold you can ever have is a cast iron single piece manifold and i did find a crowd that do make these in the u.s so i can buy a cast iron manifold they don't look nice they're not shiny but they're thick walled they hold the heat in which is what you want because unbeknownst to many is it's not airflow that drives a turbocharger it's the entry it's the entropy it's the heat that drives the turbo so the more you can hold the heat in the sooner you're going to make boost, the better the whole thing's going to respond. So I found someone that makes a, a, a manifold. If you can't find a cast, properly cast, high nickel content, iron manifold, then the next best thing you can do is see if you can use the factory manifold. That's right. In the case of the LS1s, that's what I used to love doing. Use the factory cast exhaust manifold, or at least on the crossover we did. The other side was a stainless steel thing, and yeah, it lasted a little bit, but it would crack and fall apart quite regularly too. So yeah, junk. Um, use the cast manifold if you can. If neither of those two options are available, then use a, oh, I think it's Schedule 10 or 30 or something, a steam pipe welded together manifold. If you can't weld, get someone that can weld, pay them the money to do it, because that's what you need for longevity. Mount the turbo as high as you can. That's right, high in the engine bay. We need a good drain back to the sump. I see plenty of people that set up drains out of turbochargers and they take the sump off and they weld a fitting into the sump for the drain that is below the level of the oil. Do not do that. Do not. Try not to drain back into the dipstick tube unless you absolutely have to. I've seen it done successfully. I've seen it done unsuccessfully always make sure that when you put oil back into the engine it's above the level of the oil in the sump otherwise they tend to build back up in the drain and you end up with a smoke show and possibly a fire lovely no not at all um never use a scavenge pump unless you have a gun at your head i've done it many times over the years and nearly 100% of the time, maybe 90%, I'm being, being, being a bit cruel on myself, it ends in disaster. Scavenge pumps are shit things that rarely work. OEMs can do it. Subaru seem to have done it with like a mechanico-electric style pump arrangement. I haven't even really looked into it. I have that much distaste for scavenged turbo drains. So, you know, when the turbo's down too low, it can't gravity feed the oil that it needs to lubricate back into the engine. It's got to be pumped. And yeah, I've had some absolute disasters and I've used German pumps. I've used American pumps. 
there are some things around these days that seem to work on race cars that I know of. I think the Turbo Works Pump is one of them. I'll mention their name because it's a product that I've seen work. I'm not talking about it failing. They seem they seem okay, um, but I've only ever seen them in short run racing applications too. You know, day to day on the road where you're doing 50,000 miles without, you know, wanting to create a massive smoke show, avoid, avoid, avoid. And it's more wiring as well. It's more hoses, more hose fittings. There's nothing as elegant as a drain. So we've got the turbo sitting there on the manifold mounted high. What turbo do we use? Look, if it's a normally aspirated engine you're starting with, never get too greedy. Never get too greedy. The thing will blow up. There are some engines that you just do not want to put a turbocharger or forced induction on. One of the more recent ones is the Toyota 86 engine or the BRZ, the little offset conrods and, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time if you boost those things before you're sweeping it up off the floor. I don't care how many of you want to give me feedback and say, no, Martin, I've had one running beautifully and reliably forever. It's only a matter of time. Trust me on this. I've seen it many, many times. Um, don't get greedy. Most engines will cop it. In the case of something like a Falcon six-cylinder, and you can buy a turbo Falcon. But so I had a guy come in the other day and say, I'm so attached to my normally aspirated one, I want to put a turbo on it. I said, what are you mad? Just buy the turbo car. It's cheaper. You know, if you want, take the floor mats and the seats out of yours and put it in, in, in a proper turbo car. If you can buy a turbo example of the car, buy the turbo example. In the case of the Jeep, you cannot. They were dangerous enough, normally aspirated with about the 50 horsepower they came with from the factory. So I'm not going to get greedy. I only want to add, it makes 150 horsepower at the wheels. I'd like to make 220 with a nice bit of torque down low. I want to run 5 to 6 PSI boost in this thing, not 15 to 20. It's an old engine. It's done 200,000 Ks, but they're not much of a rever, so it shouldn't be worn out. Turbocharger sizing. Look, you know, I would use looking at it. I'm actually going to try and find. I always, I always do this sort of sum in my head where I look at a car that's comparable. So let's have a look at an XR6 Turbo. It's a four liter inline six as well. It's a ton load more efficient than the Jeep motor. But the turbo, particularly on the FG, is considered a little small. So I'm thinking of sitting an FG Turbo on the Jeep. They're good. They're they're good for you know, 280 kilowatts at the wheels, I, uh, you know, nearly 400 horsepower. I'm looking for a lot less than that. So at about five, six pounds, I reckon that'll provide a, a, a really, really good match for the AMC 4-liter engine. I'm thinking that'll be a really, really good thing. Time may prove me wrong. Another good thing about it is it's an OEM quality turbocharger that works really, really well. So I know if I get one in good condition or, God help me, go out and buy a new one and spend the money, I know it's going to last longer than the rest of the car. And I'm going to have a nice gravity drain and I'm going to have a nice oil feed and I'm going to measure the feed from the Jeep engine before I put it on the turbo. I'm not just going to guess that it's going to have enough. I'm going to be able to supply this thing a couple of litres a minute or whatever the flow rate requirement is. And it's going to, that part of it's going to work. Um, fuel system. Well, that's easy. I can match these days with 
all of the great pumps straight fit you know drop in tiny little pumps that are around they never used to be around back in the old days but with all the great pumps around now there is no excuse of getting fuel supply wrong i'll get a you know 400 horsepower pump put it in the standard basket in the tank of the jeep that's that done what size injectors do we want to use well i know i'm never going to be shooting for gold with this engine when it comes to making massive amounts of power i don't want to make massive amounts of power the thing will crap itself with you know any decent amount of boost in it so i don't need a massive injector i'm thinking i'm going to go old school here and go to a 36 pound per hour injector that's heaps or in fact there's a thought i reckon i can use a set of standard uh, fg turbo injectors there's plenty of those around and i'll adapt them to the rail which i think they'll almost be straight fit and adapt the wiring harness to it so there's my fuel system done all pretty easy sensible size stuff so, you know you see people go out and they buy 2000 cc injectors for a 200 horsepower engine stupid because you'll never get you know the fine control that you need well you can but it all comes back down to what you're using to control it do not attempt with an old car like the like late 90s jeep with some prehistoric bunch of junky cu in it do not even attempt to trick it use it reprogram it they were shit when they were new they're shit now and you're never going to get the right result so i will dig up a secondhand Motec or a Haltec or an Autronic or an Adaptronic. We are so spoilt for choice for aftermarket ECUs in this country that the last thing we want to do is use a Band-Aid and, and get this all wrong. We want to do this right. ECUs are cheap. They're available. The technology now is absolutely fantastic. Don't muck around. You cut corners here you will blow your engine to smithereens. So spend a little bit more money than you think and wire it up. A nice two-bar map sensor. We're almost ready to go. Intercooling. Hmm, interesting. I always use for conversions a factory intercooler because while they might not look as big as some of the aftermarket coolers you can buy and, you know, they're not as pretty in most instances, they're generally a bloody high quality core, an expensive core, and they're up normally to the flow requirement that the manufacturers give them. Again, I can go to the Ford part shelf here, stock XR6 turbo coolers. I think that layout will suit the Wrangler pretty nicely, but if it doesn't, there's a million different cores I can use. My power requirement is quite low. I'm not, you know, shooting for the moon here. So I could buy myself a nice core out of, or even some of the old Nissan stuff uh, would actually be pretty cool. Or depending on how much of an offset I've got to the radiator in the Jeep, there's a fair bit of room there behind the grill. I could use an R35, one of their two coolers. I've used one of those effectively before. In fact, I did get involved in designing uh, the turbo system on the little race car, the Norax RDF three that I used to drive and that was a, a little Toyota um, 1.8 twin cam Lotus Elise engine little 2ZZ beautiful little high revving 9000 rpm thing and I put together a home built turbo kit for that or laid out the design for it standard cast manifold we had plenty of room a J pipe off the bottom that mounted the turbo up high and level with the rocker cover 
used four 750cc injectors, but they're a swimmer type injector. They're a little bit hard to mount. One R35 GDR intercooler swinging out in the breeze. Um, some old pipe work that I had to have adapted out of one of our old Holden turbo kits, some old alloy pipes of a VE turbo kit, and a VF34 uh, turbocharger IHI straight off an old STI. And the thing won championships like that. It went from uh, 180 horsepower at the wheels to, to 320 or 30 horsepower at the wheels with double the torque, which because the torque in those little high revving 9,000 RPM things was actually shocking down low. But now you could leave it in a gear tool everywhere and actually ran for years. I used a Nataptronic straight fit Lotus compatible ECU and it ran like a train for years till the map sensor line um, someone forgot to put a clamp around it one day when we were working on it. I blew the map sensor line off when I was at full throttle. Uh, the thing was on full boost and it fueled and timed the engine for atmospheric conditions and rattled a ringland out of number four. Since then, the engine was fixed. I no longer drive it. I was considered too slow and a good mate of mine drives it. He took over from me. They rebuilt the engine with some more second-hand parts in it. And, yeah, it's been going forever since. The motor's a good little slugger, and it makes top-level power. Why? We're only running 8, 9 pounds of boost in it. If we're running 15 to 20 in it, we'd be building a motor every meeting. So that's a trick. Don't get too greedy. And I'm not going to get too greedy with the Jeep. Now, last but not least, when we're all budding turbo system designers, we want to stuff everything into the engine bay as tightly as we can. Big mistake. You must, you must have room around everything and as much room as possible. How many times have I seen LS single turbo installations that melt all of the leads off them first time you drive it? You cannot run a turbine housing within a centimetre of an ignition lead. You cannot. You're better off to run a smaller turbine housing and try and mount the thing out and give yourself air clearance. I don't care how many blankets you put around things. I don't care how many shields you put on leads. You need gap, and you need lots of gap between hot components and components that shouldn't be so hot. Manufacturers are not stupid, and if you look at the way they heat shield in a turbocharged engine bay, there is probably as much science that goes into that part of it as there is anything else any other part of the turbocharger design because this is reliability this is warranty this is comeback and this is somewhere that you can get some really really good lessons stand in front of a factory turbo car with the bonnet up doesn't matter which one it is dead standard stand there and look at it for half an hour have a look at what they've done and try and use as much of that thought in your own installation i know certainly i'm going to do that with the jeep uh, another thing that people don't really take into consideration is thermal load or cooling load on the engine you're making more power and then you're blocking the some partial airflow to the radiator with an intercooler so you must be very very careful that you understand and you look at what you're doing to engine temperatures this is why I like in the case of the Jeep because its cooling system isn't particularly efficient at any time, even standard. I'm actually going to block half of the radiator, not the entire radiator. Because if I do that, I know if I put a big front mount in there, 
I know this thing will overheat. It, it struggles as it is on hot days now. So, and that's with a brand new radiator in it. Um, always make sure your clutch fan, if you've got a clutch fan, do not, do not, under any circumstances, change your clutch fan to a thermo fan. I have never, ever seen, and again, I might not know what I'm talking about, but I do here. In all my years, I've never seen an aftermarket thermo fan work as well as a factory mechanical clutch fan when it comes to cooling the engine. A lot of that is because people, when they buy an aftermarket thermo fan and they cable tight through the radiator, they've got no ducting. And remember the old saying, air is like sheep. It goes where it's channeled and where it's ducted. So if you don't have any ducting, air will go around the radiator, above the radiator, below the radiator. Your little cooling fan will do nothing. And all of a sudden you end up with an instant overheat condition. One of the best examples of this I've seen is we had to do some work on a, one of Australia's most famous supercars from the 2000s that never made it to production. And our job was to get the car running properly um, for the new owner because it had been in storage for about 10 years. And they had put a, a because it had a bespoke radiator in it. I like to use the word bespoke when it comes to something that's not very well designed and way overpriced. Bespoke, used very commonly by the rich customer whisperers, as we call them. Um, and they put the cooling fan on it. Uh, they tried to duct it, but they had it on backwards. So that rather than sucking air through the radiator, it was on the back of the radiator. When it turned on, when the engine got hot, it tried to push it out against the natural airflow. Yep, that didn't work too well. So what we will do is we'll follow um, just from time to time. I know it's not particularly exciting, but we'll follow... Um, the build-up of my turbocharged Jeep Adventure. I just want the thing to be able to pull along in the gears nicely. And when I point it up a big hill, when I've got the dog and the kids and the wife in it, I want it to be able to cruise up there at top gear at five pounds a boost rather than having to change down gears and hold the thing flat to the floor. And it might last 10 minutes. It might like rattle a piston out and explode straight away. But I'm going to bet my 30 years of experience that I can actually do this and make this thing run right without any trouble. I hope you learned some lessons from today. Now, before we go, your feedback is always important. This Epicast was a result of feedback emailed to me at dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at S-E-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. Um, people wanted some more tech. We are going to be doing a lot more comedy. Um... The guys, ever since uh, Chicken Dance came out, the guys have not been, Julian and Nick, that is, have been at it hard. They're taking down notes. They're getting war stories together against each other, and they're going to spring it on each other. I also got a message from another mate who's a good friend of Paul Hauson's, and he's been helping him sit down and nut out the questions that are apparently going to take me apart this week and I'm not going to be able to answer they're going to be controversial and it's going to hurt my feelings well I've got news for you buckaroo there ain't much around that can hurt my feelings I've got a skin just about as thick as my head and that's pretty thick we have also um, surpassed easily now over a thousand listeners per episode so thank you all very much for the support I'm not asking for sponsors yet I said I wouldn't but hey if you want to uh 
flick a bit of cash this way, that'd be fine. But no, seriously, I, I can do this and fund it. I hope you're all having fun. And thank you for tuning in to Range Anxiety.